Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Amen, amen. What a great worship set. Uh, Thank you, praise band. Thank you, team. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, um, there's no name like the name of Jesus. And so I'm I'm thankful for that. And thank you uh, just for those serving behind scenes, behind the scenes. I'm excited to have all uh, the junior high and high school coming back and just the church beginning to open some. I mean, this is, this feels good for the preacher that came here and was able, was not able to see anybody. Amen. So this is a good thing. This is, this is it. Amen. This is a beautiful thing. And so Crossroads, I love you. Uh, I'm thankful for you. Thank you for praying for me um, and sending me kind notes through the days and through the weeks. And so I really do appreciate um, you. And so those watching online, thank you. And by the way, if you're watching online, we would love to celebrate with you where you're watching from. So please, um, in the comment section there, just go ahead and jot down where you're watching from. I know we have a, um, a gang, if you will, watching from Alaska, which is a neat thing, and really all over the country. So thank you for joining in and tuning in uh, to what God is doing here at Crossroads. We're very thankful. So a lot of things are going on, obviously. There's, there's tons of things going on in our culture. I, I want to mention again, Rocky hit on some things already, uh, but the connection class. If you feel as if you desire to get involved, at least hear more about what we're doing, I would like to say this, we're gonna roll the curtain back. The connection class is kinda, of, let's roll the curtain back so we can actually see what's going on in the, in the life of the church. And this is for you to be able to see um, and hear the vision, the philosophy, the theology, and all those good things in regards to where we're at and what we believe in. Now, you all see the boat on stage. We'll get there in just a little bit. Everybody's like, man, the boat, amen, right? It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. It's not a matter of if. Like if I will walk through a storm. It's not a matter of if I will actually encounter a very unfavorable circumstance in my life. And by the way, we've all experienced this. We have experienced this and we're currently experiencing this right now in 2020. This has been a very odd year. But I know something we got in God's economy. God never wastes good experiences or bad experiences. He takes everything and he, he makes it right. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of, it's a matter of when. And as we talk about this idea of fear, uh, there's, it's, it's a multiplicity of ways we can define it, but healthy fear is this. It's just awe of God. Uh, it's, there is a healthy fear. There's a healthy fear in the sense of there's some things we ought to be afraid of. There's some things that, there, that naturally brings within us this propensity to have fear. Like if I'm standing over, um, a t- I'm standing at the top of a tall building and they're saying, jump down, we got you. I'm saying, no, you don't. Amen. That's real fear. I'm going to have some real emotions going on inside of me. Amen. But then there's these other fears that our emotions trigger. Uh, that comes from our own decisions. It comes from self-caused storms. In other words, the Jonah tendency when God tells us to do something, he clearly commands us to do something in life, and you know what that may be in your life. But in essence, we run from that, and what happens, we bring upon ourselves, because God has allowed these storms to come in that bring us back to himself, we bring on ourselves self-caused storms. But then also, again, we see collective storms, just a collective storm in regards to what we're seeing today in our our world. Grief, heartache, pain, it seems as if it's being extremely amplified. Are you with me here? We have social unrest, we have political unrest, 
There's pain on all fronts, right? Terrorism, fires, wars, hurricanes, earthquakes, famines, murder, ex- I mean, explo- exploitation. I mean, think of this. This is, this is where we're at as a world. And I, I want to say this real quick. The enemy, he loves to use all of these things to keep us fearful. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you and I, when we face our storm. But even I would like to pour a little bit more gas on that actual statement, not a matter of if, but when. But in the midst of the storms, how will you and I, how will we respond? How will we respond? Will we try to um, help God out like we like to do a lot of times? We, we love to help him out. God, if you don't come through, then I'm going to have my plan A, my plan B for myself, for my family, for my business, whatever the case may be. For my kids, I'm going to have a plan because you're taking too long. How will you and I respond, saints? How will we respond? In other words, today we're going to see some extraordinary insight from a very familiar story, very familiar passage, John, uh, Mark, excuse me, Matthew 14. But when we look at storms, when you and I, when we look at trials and we think about fear, it causes you and I to ask three basic fundamental questions. One, God, where are you? Anybody in the room with me on that? God, where are you? In the midst of a circumstance, in the midst of a storm, I don't know what it may be for you, but typically this is the first question we tend to ask. God, where are you? Have you checked off on me? Are you focused on other people's lives and you kind of just checked off on my life? Do I really matter? Did, did the, the cross, was it applicable for my life? Did, was your blood um, sufficient for my sins and for my circumstances? And the question is, and the answer is to that, yes, absolutely. So God, where are you? The second one is this, can I trust you? Can you trust God? And that's what we ask ourselves in the midst of storms, in the midst of trials, when they find our address, when they knock on our door, we say, God, where are you? But then also, can I trust you? Then lastly, this is one that, that drives, us, drives us wild, is how long will this circumstance last? You see, if we knew the duration, if we knew how long something was going to be, if we knew how long God was going to allow us to be in a certain situation, if you will, if we understood and knew that, we would be more prone to dealing with it and coping with it. If we can see the outcome. It's like me going to a, um, man, I'm going to let you all in my life. Amen. Here we go. My wife and I, we, had a, we did a double, kind of a triple date. Actually, it was me, my wife, and then it was another couple and another couple. And we decided one, um, a few years back, we decided to go to a haunted house. My wife was like, let's go to a haunted house. Let's do this. Let's go. Let's go. I'm like, yeah, okay, let's go. <laughs> right? Beads of sweat coming on my forehead instantly, right? Immediately, beads of sweat. Let's go. Okay, so we... we you know, got together, we, we, you know, I drove, I was kind of, you know, to be the, I was the big guy, I was the older guy in the whole group and just kind of be the, the, the guy, right? Okay, if anybody's going to be scared, it's not going to be Marcus. <laughs> so we go, we have food, which is not a good idea to eat first and then go to a haunted house. Amen. So we went and got food and beyond that was like mussels. I mean, have, anybody like mussels? That's the worst. I'm sorry. I'm grossing some of y'all out right now, but, but we went and ate, out of all things, right? Some seafood. And so we make our way to the place and we have to pay and all that stuff. And I pull my card out and I'm like, man, Mr. Cool Guy, yeah, I'll pay for everybody. Come on, yeah, 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 I'll pay for everybody. Yeah, 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 you know. Some, you know, we pay, it's a little small fee. And so uh, they said, here's how you do it. You, you get in line and then you begin to go this way and just follow, follow the, the illuminated tape, if you will. It's kind of like some fluorescent tape. And so here it is. Can y'all see me? It's a big one too. And it's, it might, this, this actual haunted house has... Um, 
great respect, great reviews, and everybody said, you got to go to this one, you got to go to this one. So finally we arrive, and we, I'm at the precipice of this tape getting ready to walk through the, the rest of the uh, haunted house. And here it is. I began, and by the way, the order was this. It was multiple, it was a lot of us. And so I said, I'll be in the back. I'll take the back. I come up the rear. Hey, man, we got it. I got the back. And so we're going through. My wife's right here. Other couple. Another couple we're walking through. It's pretty easy. I'm like, this is not bad at all. It's not bad. See, it wasn't bad. I was like, man, this is, this is nothing, right? Uh, they should have let me in here for free. Then we hit a couple more corners and stuff began to change. Stuff started reaching out. You know, you don't touch me. We're good if you don't touch me. But then we started walking down, those online, we started walking down this one, this one little hallway, and it was pitch black. You know, these other couples, they're young millennials, they're like, bring it on, give me the world, I'll call, I'll save the world. Like this great conquering attitude. I'm in the back, the Gen X guy, like, man, what the world is going on, right? And so here it is, we get there and we hit a corner. They go in front, and so about the time my wife turns the corner, right in front of me, there's a mirror. And I'm right there, and the mirror lights up. In the midst of his illumination, I see Michael Myers from the movie Halloween. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but this is crazy. Because what happened to me is I began to go, oh, snap, this is wild. Okay, let's go fast. Mandy, go, right? So anyway, so we start going fast. But then I kind of looked back, and I was able to see the mirror flashed again, and he wasn't there. So now I'm thinking, oh, man, they playing around now. So I was, I was walking this way, right? So imagine, we're all still going this way. I knew that he was gone, so I started treading backwards like this, looking like, wait. I wanted to know, where was Michael Myers? And sure enough, Michael Myers came out. He's coming with his blade. We hit a couple other scenes, crazy scenes. But in the midst of this actual haunted house, I, I forgot about something. Something that's very important that we all should know. That at the end, I'm going to get out. At some point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass through the rest of this haunted house, but there is an exit. There is an ending point. But in the midst of it, what happens, just like you and I, we lose our minds. We freak out. We allow everything on the, on the periphery cause us to begin to forget about God's goodness and the fact that we will get out. And that's what I want to deal with this morning. That's what we are going to deal with this morning. Looking at a biblical storm that the disciples had to go through, but God's hand was all over it. You ready? If you're ready, say amen. amen. Turn to Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. I'm going to read the whole account, then we'll just pick apart five observations. Immediately, Matthew 14, verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now he just, the context is crucial, context, 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 he just um, fed the 5,000, right? So typically Jesus would, that was draining. He was 100% God, 100% man. So you see this, the 100% man portion of him in regards to being fatigued and drained from events like such, okay? But there's multiple reasons why he's gonna distance himself from the disciples. Then verse 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves and the wind, for the wind was against them. Now these guys, they're in the middle of the ocean. And at the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. 
But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said this, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Have you ever been there? Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, which is key. I want y'all to underline that. He spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Oh, the great Peter, right? And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, now didn't Jesus just say it was him? Isn't that interesting? If it is you, command me to come to you and better, this really reads, since it's you. So give Peter some credit. Lord, if it's you, since it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. That's two times the word is used. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt me? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in a boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. This is a very interesting story. Again, it's very familiar to us. Now, these disciples, they were professionals, Fishermen, they were not JV fishermen, they were varsity fishermen. So they understood storms. They had been in storms before during their times on the sea. And just a couple of chapters before that, Matthew 8 talks about how they encountered another storm and Jesus was on the boat taking a nap and he still got up and he calmed the storms. And what we're gonna do, we're not really gonna look at Peter and highlight Peter's life. It's very easy for us after reading this account to begin to point our finger at him and say, man, Peter, why would you trip out? Easy to highlight his boldness or criticize Peter, but we're not gonna do that. Because what happens is if I begin to approach the text and say, hey, we need to be like Peter and be bold in all these great things, we will begin to slip into what's called moralistic teaching. The point of this whole narrative, the point of this story, stay with me, saints, is this, is to highlight the faithfulness of God in the midst of our circumstances. The, really, that's what it's all about. So we're in, we have five observations. Everybody say five. five. We got to move fast. We have 25 minutes. We have five observations. The first one is this. After feeding the 5,000, he told the boys, hey, I want y'all to get into the boat and um, I want y'all to go to the other side before me. I want you to get into the boat. I want you to go to the other side before me. The first thought is this, that Jesus is sovereign over all. Now, what we miss in this story, because it's so familiar, he said, I want you to get into the boat Get into the boats, uh, young guys. Get in, right? I'm gonna try to sit down. Hey, man, hope I can get up. Oh, Lord. Hey, here we go. All right. Those watching online, don't laugh, don't trip. But get into the boat. They're not JV fishermen. They're, they're varsity fishermen. But get into the boat, and I want you to go to the other side. Jesus is sovereign over all. In other words, you and I, what happens is if we don't read this story with attitude and take our time in reading it, what happens, we will forget that Jesus is really gives them the command, and the command is to get into the boat and go to the other side. I'm going to highlight in just a little bit what that means. He says, get into the boat. That's the original command in the whole story. So a lot of times, again, the danger of this text, we see this text and we go, well, well, man, man, God, why did you tell him to get in the boat? Here's the point of God being sovereign overall. There's nothing that comes into your life that comes into my life that takes God by surprise. 
And this may seem as if God is some, uh, somewhere up there kind of having uh, fun with our lives. That's not the point. God is a very controlled God. He's a very sovereign God. He's a very purposeful God. And he's a very meaningful God. So in other words, there's nothing that comes into your life that comes into my life. First, not having gone through the hands of God and the allowance of his, his grace and the allowance of his nature to hit your life. In other words, if God calls you to it, he will get you through it. One way or another. So here it is. He tells the boys, get into the boat, get in. He's sovereign. Now, here's the point I want to make real quick. Get into the boat and go before me. Now, really, if he's sovereign, that means he's omnipresent. What? He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I want to get you to start thinking that you're really going to the other side without me, that I'm far from you. But in essence, I've already gone to the other side. In other words, this command has God's promises written all over it. So in other words, I want you to go to the other side, but the point is I've already gone there already and I see you. I see you. It's key. Get into the boat. Get into the boat, right? Now, you see God's sovereignty is, is crucial. God's sovereignty in your life and my life is a CPR for the Christian, for the Christian life. It's like, it's the lifeline for you and I, that even though I'm in this, I mean, remember the, the haunted house, I, I begin to freak out and forget. But the point is God's sovereignty for you and I, in the midst of how we're living, in the midst of living for him, it is the CPR for our lives, understanding that he is literally in control. And so what happens is we believe that, or we say we believe that, but then we don't practice it so that we function like functional atheist. So what happens is we say, oh, I believe you're in control. I believe you have all things under wraps. I believe you are the boss. There's nothing that comes into my life without having gone through your hands first. But what happens, we say that intellectually, but when we find ourselves in the haunted seasons of our life or in the midst of a boat in the Sea of Galilee, in the nestled, if you will, on the western side of the sea, where storms would normally come in and swoop and call us tumultuous storm. So this was normal for these boys. But what happens is we said, yes, I believe. Yes, I'm gonna get in the boat, but hold on. Why are you sending so many waves? So what happens is you and I, we, we believe it, but we don't practice it so that we begin to function like functional atheists. Well, we see this in verse 23 that Jesus is interceding for him. We know he's in control. Go to the other side, get in the boat, go to the other side, get in the boat. But really, in essence, I'm going to go before you. But we see in verse 23, it says this. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Very interesting. Now, many reasons scholars say that obviously we know that Jesus loves spending time with the Father, that that's where he, he, he communed, identity was there, all this good stuff. But, but could it be that he was grieving John the Baptist's death as well? So he was in this point of vulnerability and he's praying, he's praying, saying he's dealing with all these emotions. He's drained from the, um, the miracle just a little while ago. He's praying for the disciples, even in the midst of this story and this narrative. It's funny because a lot of times we think, man, man, God, man, why would you, why would you allow that to happen? It's funny because somebody asked this question. I was studying it and I, I posed a question to a group of guys and they said, did Jesus know the storm was coming? I said, absolutely. Yes, he knew. He knew. He knew. And the, the fact that God knows on the backdrop of Romans 8, the fact that God commands us to live for him, to have faith in him, to trust him, all this good stuff, on the backdrop of Romans 8, starting in verse 31, 
Let this sink into your soul. So what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, mind you, Jesus is on the mountain praying for these boys. He's praying for them. He's praying for them. He's connecting with the Father, which, by the way, is a great um, example for you and I in the midst of storms. We got to stop and pray. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. This is Romans 8, verse 32 now. He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If it is God who justifies, who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised also? And who is at the right hand of the Father? Who indeed is interceding for us? This is Pauline theology piggybacking off this text. Who shall separate us from the love of God then? For the love of Christ. Who shall separate you and I? In the midst of the boat moments, if this is the case, Jesus sovereignly says, get in the boat and go before me. In essence, I've already gone before you. I'm going to provide even in the midst of the storm, but I want to let you know I'm praying for you. I'm also going to be there with you. This is like God has our back 100%. He has our front. He has our side. He has our back. And even he's living inside of us. What shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. But here it is, verse 27. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, he goes on to say, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is great, right? Because on the backdrop of this, Jesus is praying for them. He's sovereign. He's already checked off on this deal. He's gone through his hands. He is producing in the disciples something that wouldn't have been there beforehand had they not gone through this storm. Now, they were going to have to learn the hard way. In other words, when they launched the church, they want to go through some hardships and go through some trials. But the fact that they had been through this, they were more willing and prone to trust God now. You see, you and I, when we go through things, it doesn't necessarily stretch us thin. It deepens our faith. It may stretch you thin. You may think that way, but really it's deepening our faith and it's really allowing us to trust the Lord even more. Sometimes God has to allow us to go through something in order to, in order to really get us to something. To get you there. Think about it. We have to go through some things in life in order to, for God to get you there. Then we see this third observation that Jesus is present with us in the midst of the storms. He's present. Say, he's present. Now, the devil is very crafty. He's crafty. In the midst of storms like this, whether the haunted house, whatever it may be, you're in the boat of your life. Remember, the original command was to get in the boat and go to the other side. A lot of times when we hear this story, it's it's articulated and interpreted in many different ways, but this point is often overlooked. If you do biblical theology, biblical exegesis, what we need to see in this story, it's really not a story about Peter. It exposes our frailties, but it highlights God's faithfulness. So as a midst of this, in the midst of your boat, here it is. We need to realize that God is still with us. And the enemy wants us to think this, that God has checked off on our lives. He will not get you to doubt God's existence, but he will get you to doubt God's goodness. I've said that before. Y'all have heard me say that, but the enemy wants you to doubt God's goodness. Look at verse 24. It says this, 
But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Have you ever had life circumstances against you? You can't get a break? Y'all heard the saying? I know y'all have heard it. When it rains, it what? It pours, right? The waves are against these boys. The winds are against them. And I would think even at this point, water is getting in the boat. Now, they all know that's a big issue when water is starting to get inside the boat. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. Sometimes God shows up in ways that we least expect. And it scares us, right? Because, man, I was, I was thinking you would come through this way. We have our, our own understanding of how God ought to come through. But God said, no, I'm going to come through in a different way. I'm going to reveal myself in a different way. But here, let's keep reading. They, t- they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Let me stop there. What a request. Peter said, look, man, this was really like between ah, three and four in the morning. They've been rowing for a while. They were tired. Have you ever been just tired in the midst of a storm? Hey, can we, can we, can we not play church this morning? And act like we've never been in a hard situation. Act like we've never said, Lord, I'm ready to throw in the towel. Act like we've never been in a situation where we're saying, God, I don't see how you're going to get me out of this. I don't see um, how I'm going to navigate this. Can we have church this morning? And so in other words, it's like, hey, well, I'm in this boat, but man, God, how am I going to get out of this? You commanded me to get in. So in other words, if the command is still the same and I hadn't heard your voice change the command, that means I still should remain. And what we try to do is we try to make a sub point A, B, and C for God and allow a way for us to get out of circumstances when God's original command hadn't changed. He wants us to go through the whole process so that we will look different and he may clean us up and prune us out through the midst of it. But here's the case. Peter, man, I love Peter. He gets a bad rap, but he cried out. He cried out. If it's you, tell me to come out. If it's you. Now, Jesus is bad in the mug. Man, Jesus come walking on water. Envision this in your spiritual mind. The winds are everywhere. It's pretty bad out there. They're tired. They're fatigued. And here comes this this object. They didn't know if it's a human. I think it's a ghost. He comes walking. And here's what I want you to see in the text. This is basic hermeneutics here. He was close enough to them for, for Jesus to call, I mean, for Peter to call out and then Jesus respond and for Peter to hear. But the winds and everything hadn't stopped yet. You have to see this in the text. It's important. Why? Because a lot of times in our circumstance, we want God to stop the storm before we can trust him. Okay, Lord, stop everything and then we're good. That's not biblical faith. You see, faith is this, having the courage to press on even in the midst of unfavorable or even uh, uncertain times. But he was close enough and he said, hey, look, if it's you call me to step out, and here's what I want to let you know. If Jesus can walk on water, how much more Should we ought to see this in light of the cross? You say, I've never heard this story um, connected to the cross, to Golgotha. Here's what I want to mean. Here's Here's what I mean here. How much more should we see this on the side of the cross, on this side of the cross? There we see Jesus not only came to us 
in the storm of our own lives of sin, he took it to himself the storm of God's wrath, right? 100% propitiation. He pleased the Father 100%. He not only walked on the top of the waves, but soared over sin and death in the resurrection and through the resurrection. Not only did he die, but he was lifted up over the top of the waves. He filled, um, uh, he filled with the power of the resurrection. You and I, we're filled with the power of the resurrection. And, and he also reached down and he reached and grabbed you and I. It wasn't us trying to reach up to him. Really, gospel is this. Here's the gospel. Jesus coming down, reaching from heaven to make connections so that we can reach up. The works and religion will say this. Reach up high, try to get as far as you can to make yourself right with God. Here's the gospel. God came down. God came down. And so here's the point. He came down, man. And here's the funny thing. You ready for this? If he would come down and reach out to us, even when we were his enemies, how much more now will he come down or how much more now will he come through and reach and grab us now that we're sons and daughters? Think of this. That's profound. If I'm a son and daughter, if, he, if I was an enemy originally, and he came through, how much more will he come through for, for me as a son and daughter? Well, he's present. You see, what gives us hope and trouble is not just the protection of God. Hear me say this, church. It's the presence of God. It's him. It's him. It's his, it's his presence. The Bible says that he was close enough. He was right there, close in proximity enough to hear one another talking. Right? The disciples didn't recognize Jesus. We said that. But they had this, this crazy fear. And Jesus says, ego amy. It is I. He used the word ego amy, not lego my ego, not talking about waffles. Amen. Some of y'all belly begin to growl, like, right? Ego amy is this. It's the same, the same uh, name or description of himself that he gave Moses back in Exodus. Well, who should I say is going to send me? I mean, who, who, I mean, really, I can't go into Pharaoh's camp. I can't just do what I want to do. I'm little Moses. I'm broken down. He says, I am that I am that I am. Amen. Jesus now claims deity in this text, which we know to be true. But here he's saying, the same God, thank you, Holy Spirit, the same God that spoke everything into existence, the same God that, um, that can walk on water, the same God that holds all, thing together, all things together, according to uh, Colossians 1 and 17, the same God that spoke everything into existence and the same God who rose from the grave is the same God that will meet you and I in the midst of our storms when we have fearful moments in life. It's the same God. And what we do is we try to departmentalize if God is really going to come through for us based on the, the depth, if you will, of our need or our circumstance or our boat. Well, it doesn't matter what you're going through. God wants to meet you right there anyway. So how much more? How much more, church, right? And Jesus says, come. I love it. Come. Peter cries out. At least he cried out, by the way. He gets a lot of rap, but at least he cried out. Peter cried out. I'm thankful for that. What a great analogy. What a great example for you and I. He at least cried out. Lord, if it's you, since it's you, call me. Hey, help me to come out. Hey, I'm willing to do it. And the Lord says, come. Now, here's what I want you to see. I wrestled with this all week long. And then the Lord dropped it in my gut. Other guys in the boat, it's packed. The winds are still going. Close enough proximity with Jesus. If it's you, tell me to come out. I love Peter. Bold faith, right? Any kind of bold. 
But let me just say this real quick before we keep going. The original command was what? Have you ever heard that taught before? Probably not. Because typically we do moralistic teaching in, our, in the church today and go, oh, we got to be bold like, and this, yes, this is true. We need to take steps of faith. Absolutely right. But the command was to stay in the boat. Because you'll notice on the back end of this story where the worship service happened. The worship, the worship service didn't happen when Peter got out and started walking on water. It wasn't like everybody in the boat was like, "Woo, go Peter, Peter, go Peter. It's your birthday, go Peter. They didn't do that. The worship service didn't start then. The worship service happened when Jesus got back in the boat. You have to see this, saints. This is important for your exegetical study and for your own personal walk. But for whatever it's worth, God allowed Peter to step out. Now, he really wasn't walking on water. You say, yes, he was. The text say that. True. But more so, he was walking on God's word. Come. 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 God's promises. That's what he was walking on. Peter was not walking on water. Rather, he was walking on the promises of God. He was standing, not standing on waves, but he was standing on the character of Jesus. That's what he was doing. You hear that online? You hear that? Well, what's interesting too, though, you ready for this? <laughs> that Jesus called him out, come. But he didn't stop the storm first and then called him or then call him. He allowed the storm to continue. You see, what happens is God allows us to go through storms, but he meets us in the midst of the storm, and he meets us for this purpose that the storm or the circumstance doesn't overtake us. Because what happens, you and I, we're, we're in a situation or storm. I don't know what it may be for you. I don't, I don't know what it may be. It could be health. It could be a weakened economy, not knowing what the future holds. And we're going to hit on a lot of this stuff in the days ahead. It could be that prodigal um, just still not coming back. It could be in-laws that you've been trying to witness to uh, for so long. The divi the, the, just the divided nation that we're in, the future, whatever it may be. God is not going to just subside all these things, saints. He's just not going to just, <sighs> he can but he wants to meet us, you and I, in the midst of the storm. And he's telling you. And some of us, we hadn't, we hadn't taken a step out on God's word for a long time. Crossroads, it's not good enough to have biblical assent. At some point, you and I, we need to step out and trust the word of God. If the tomb is empty and since it is empty, still the grave clothes, according to Luke, is folded up. Since the tomb is empty, this is God's authoritative word. You and I, we can walk on the word. I'm not saying walk on the word in the sense of we just dominate the word, but we allow um, the promises of God to give us a foundation to trust the will of God and the person of God in the midst of our storms and what we go through. For the purpose of you and I drawing closer to him and looking more like him. What would life be like if we didn't have any storms or hardships? What would life be like? I mean, what type of person would you be had you not gone through anything? Right, it wouldn't be Adam and Eve, of course. Yeah, that's, that's true. Before the fall, right? Um, untried, the theologians call it untried conscience. But we'd be prideful. No story to tell. 
self-confident, can't relate to anybody. That sounds like a boring life, doesn't it? But it allows us to go through things for his glory. Again, the point of this whole story is this. It wasn't to demonstrate the greatness or the weakness of Peter's faith, but the point is to demonstrate the greatness of God's grace. That's what it's all about. He cried out, Lord, save me. 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 For the unbeliever, you may say, I don't have this relationship with Jesus. I'm scared to call out to his name. I don't even know what his voice sounds like. And for the unbeliever in the room, here's what you cry out and say. Salvation, it's a salvation cry. Lord, save me. In other words, Lord, you're articulating that, that God is God. Save me. You realize that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And he's talking about the me part, save me. That means come into my life today and save me. That's what, that's what if you're an unbeliever in the room, that's what you need to cry out to do. That's what you need to cry out and say. Really? 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 Then what about the believer? For you and I, we need to cry out too in the midst of these storms. We need to say this, Lord, save me from my enemy, from my flesh, from my greed, from my lust, from my covetedness, from my pride, from my doubts, from my lack of faith. Save me. Lord, save me from these things. Because in the midst of the storm, these are the things typically that we may run to. And whatever we run to in the midst of the storm, if it's not Jesus, we have um, made for ourselves functional saviors. Whatever that may be in your life, it could be going to spend stuff, it could be shopping, it could be something you're watching online. I don't know what it may be. It could just, you, maybe you get angry, maybe it's a control thing. I don't know, but typically we all run to something in the midst of a storm and fear. And what the, the text is trying to say here is that Jesus is with us, he's sovereign, he's praying for us, he's present, and he's our strength, and he's gonna get you through everything he calls you to. He's gonna get you through it, he's your strength. I love this because verse 31 says this, but immediately, we're almost done. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. He didn't criticize him. He didn't talk bad about him. Man, Peter, come on, man. You're horrible. No, he didn't do that, right? I'm still going to use you. He just reached out his hand. Look at, the, look at the picture of grace. Saying to him, oh, of little faith. Now, it seems as if you say, Marcus, well, he didn't ridicule him. Well, what about this statement? No, he didn't. He's not talking about the intensity of Peter's faith, but the duration of his faith. Peter had faith, but the duration of his faith. In other words, you and I, we find staying faith, staying faith, staying faith at the same place we found our initial faith. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. Context is crucial. Why? Because they just watched Jesus feed 5,000 people um, with uh, um, a Popeye's three-piece meal. They just saw this. They just saw this. So staying faith, we get it from where we initially get our saving faith, and it's in the person of Jesus. So what happens, though, many times we like to just try to figure things out, and, and that's a bad thing to do. Well, which leads to my last point, that Jesus, he, he is your peace. He's my peace. He's our peace. Verse 32, it says this, and when they got into the boat, Oh, the wind ceased. Hmm, interesting. So the wind ceased once Jesus got back into the boat. The original command was to what? Get in the, and to go before me to the other side, which he was gonna make provision for. He already mapped it out for them. 
But the praise and worship party began once Jesus got into the boat. Well, you know, it's funny because Jesus himself, he is the, the perfect expression, the accurate picture of peace himself. Now, what I mean by that is this, is that it's not just something he do. Peace is who he is. He's a God of peace. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to experience peace, even in the midst of what you're going through. He is peace. Unexplainable peace. Arene is the word. Unexplainable peace. Peace that doesn't make any sense. It's what Paul was saying in Philippians 4. He says, hey, look, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Well, why should I rejoice? And I'm in the midst of a dank sale, chained to a Roman guard, and I'm about to be beheaded by King Nero. Why would I want to be rejoicing? Well, the location of the rejoicing is not in the circumstance. The location is of a rejoicing is actually in Jesus. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice in, in the Lord because God never changes. Well, saints, this may challenge your thinking. God necessarily is not calling us to do great things for him. I think a lot of times we try to do extraordinary things, which is a very honorable and a very, uh, it's a healthy thing to want to do great things for the Lord. But necessarily that's not what he's calling us to do. First, he's calling you and I to be faithful. He's calling you and I to be faithful. If we're faithful, leave the rest up to him. Because then he'll begin to use you in ways that you never thought you'd be used. He'll begin to do things in your life that you never thought that can be done. But the original command was to, and see what happened, sometimes we try to step out and do too much. God is saying, the command was to stay in the boat. That's a challenge. I know it's going to mess with some of y'all. But Peter, look, but Peter, he had bold faith, but Peter. Remember, the whole narrative is not about, it's not about necessarily Peter. It's more so about the character of Jesus in the midst of our storms. Had a great meet with um, Calvin Pearson this week. He dropped a nugget and I wrote it down instantly. He said, Marcus, if you preach the gospels and they don't point to Jesus, you're not preaching the gospel. So this text, this text, this text, as much as I want to lean in and talk about how bold, we got to be a bolder church. Yes, this is true. There is application there. But you and I, we're called to be faithful. We're called to be faithful. We're called to be faithful to God's original command, whatever it may be, trust him, to love him, spend time and pray. In the midst of whatever you're going through, trust him, trust him, trust him. Because remember, he allows you and I, like he did Peter, to be able to walk on his word. Not necessarily do extravagant things for him, but to be faithful. But to be faithful. So now what you do is you, you re-embrace his character. When we do that, you re-embrace his character. Man! No matter what I'm going through, he sees me. Uh, Hebrew is El Roy, but the God who sees, he sees me in my storm. He sees me. He sees you. So I'm going to re-embrace this, and I'm going to let the gospel now, as a point of this, I'm going to let the gospel be a louder megaphone than my circumstance. 
So I'm going to let the gospel scream louder than what I'm going through. I want to remain faithful because I'm going to try to figure things out. I want to stay faithful. And then what happens, God just broadens your, your ministry scope. He stretches you in a way that you wouldn't have been stretched before so that you can be a blessing to somebody else. Lord, thank you. You know, really, we thank you for, sounds weird, we thank you for trials, we thank you for, man, hardships. We know that everything works according to your purpose and your will. Nothing takes you by surprise. Nothing is, you know, just by coincidence. So, Lord, I pray that this morning, I know a lot of us were walking through many different seasons, whether bad news from the doctor, just the plight of our country, maybe our own storms within, unconfessed sin, I don't know. But, Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to hold on to what we know to be true about you in the midst of the storms and not try to, de to develop a theology in the midst of it because that's a bad place to start. Help us to stand on your word, to stand on your promises, to walk on your word and to walk on your promises that you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. And for that, Lord, we are grateful and we can face the fearful circumstances in our life unshaken because you're good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.